everyone's going through a tough time. So take your sales hat off and be a human. Be the positive light in someone's day. Make a good connection for them to get off that phone call and be in a better place mentally than they were when they picked up the phone. All right, welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. And I'm really excited today because I am with Justin Satterfield. Uh, Justin's the founder and president of Norwood Staffing in Austin, Texas. They are a specialist healthcare revenue management uh, recruiter. Prior to launching his own business in 2016, Justin was a top producer with one of the largest staffing firms in the United States. How are you, man? I'm good, brother. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. I did a shorter bio this time because you're a repeat guest. I feel like a lot of my listeners will already know you. Um, and uh, our previous interview was published December 2019. And I don't know if you know this, it's one of the top 10 most downloaded out of any of my interviews that I've done. Um, wow. Yeah, people love that that's an honor. Um, I mean, the I've I've listened to pretty much all of them, and the the guest list you've had on here. I mean, to be among the top ten, like wow, I'm I'm humbled by that. Awesome, people love that conversation, Justin. So, if you haven't heard it, uh, anyone listening, it's episode number five. Go back and check it out. And uh, so, listen. Last time we spoke. We talked about how you built your company to like close to a million dollars within the first three years. And then three months after we had that conversation, coronavirus hit. So I'm dying to know like what happened next at Norwood, Norwood Staffing. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's dive into that. So, yeah, we, you know, we were really coming off a strong 2019. Um, I was you know, very excited about 2020 and 2019 was our first year to have a team. Um, yes. my first hires were in Q3 of, of 2018. So 2019 was my first full year. Uh, we grew 504% that year. Um, and then, so going into 2020, I'm, I'm pumped, right? Like this is going to be just an incredible year ahead. And, uh, yeah, and then and <laughs> oh, and do you recall the 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 gal on uh, LinkedIn um, that kind of attacked you a little bit in regards to making a post about my podcast uh, in which she stated, you know, you don't need to be promoting, uh, you know, people starting their own business. I've been in this business for twenty five years, and I've been through three recessions, and you know, this, <laughs> this is not that. a good time. And I was like. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, so, um, just made it through my first recession for her to know. Um, so yeah, so rolling into, uh, into COVID, I mean, Q1, we're averaging 60 plus recs on the board. Um, we're, we're doing absolutely fantastic, really moving along. And then, then, then March came, um, you know, into February, March. And, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, you're in healthcare. So I'm sure staffing was great in healthcare. No, <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, if, if, you if, you're, if you were the people who were, well, yeah, right. If, if, if you were doing, um, you know, some clinical staffing, perhaps, I mean, the nursing space, uh, you know, I know folks were, you know, going up to New York making ridiculous money for, for that. But, uh, you know, I work on, on, on the revenue cycle side of things. And what people don't understand is that. 
I mean, and, and one of the reasons that I got into healthcare was because of how recession proof it was. Um, you know, I, I have friends and, you know, oil and gas and things like that. I'm like, Oh, brutal. Uh, but healthcare is, is pretty steady. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, healthcare in Q2 lost over $200 billion. You know, when the government shut down elective surgeries, that was just absolutely brutal. Uh, as well as the reimbursement on, on COVID. I mean, the, the length of stay and how much care is needed versus the reimbursement. I mean, it absolutely devastated this industry. So you're talking furloughs, you know, pretty much across the board. We went from averaging, you know, over 60 wrecks to zero, you know, zero jobs in Q2. Um, I mean, I think we had a few starts uh, that were from Q1, but no new jobs. In five months, we made six placements. Uh, we wow. lost uh, a seven-figure project altogether um, that we'd already started. We were already a few weeks in. That went completely away. Uh, and a third of our contractors. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, that, that, was, that was pretty tough. Um, but you know, I had the mindset going into it pretty quickly that, you know, this is where real business leaders are defined, that there is always opportunity, um, no matter what the market is. You know, you, you know, going back to our, our favorite topic of stoicism, like, I'm sitting right. here go, woe is me. Like, oh, the market's tough. Like, okay, we'll do something about it. Um, you know, and so looking at the market, it, it was completely unrealistic to go, well, let's just double down and make a ton of sales phone calls and like, we'll go find business. Like there was no business and it was pretty, pretty distasteful to be reaching out to clients other than just checking in on them. I mean, the last thing they needed as they're trying to decide which, you know, employees are going to furlough or lay off is some staffing recruiter coming like, you sure you don't need people? You know, uh, I mean, that's just really distasteful. Um, but, you know, looking at the market and, and what I wanted to build, Mark, you know, as, as you know, is a team of just absolute rock stars. You know, that's that's what I've wanted to build. And, and perhaps, you know, uh, it will go that that strategy will change. But for me, especially my first 10 core people, I want to be just absolute studs. And uh, and it's hard to recruit top producers because they're making great money. You know, they, they have those golden handcuffs. And, you know, so one thing that uh, one thing that really stuck out to me was this is going to be a great time to hire mm. because when does the health care market go down? You know, when do these top producers ever have their book of business drop like this? Um, so, you know, and, and a lot of my competitors uh, were you know, firing people themselves, you know, especially the larger staffing agencies. I mean, tons of people getting laid off. Um, But, you know, I I looked at at that as an opportunity. So really Mm. kind of focused on a lot of operational stuff during that time. But uh, building the team last year was was pretty great. So I took the uh, director of recruiting as well as the director of sales for my largest competitor. um, And then also took the... uh, um, manager from my previous employer as well. Uh, so double the size of my team. Um, and then we also added a, uh, a high level consultant uh, internally 
that I'm sure we'll dive into here in a bit, but uh, really a cool growth year. And, you know, coming off of 504% growth, it's like, oh man, you know what, you know, what, what's going to happen now with this? Um, Mark, we grew 891% last year. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. Tell, okay. (laughs) I really want to get into this with you because I did a similar thing, which is to expand my team in 2020. And, um, but I, I want to ask you about the mindset of <clears throat> expand, hiring more people when your revenue is actually decreasing. What is going <laughs> through your mind? Like, talk to me about that. Cause that's scary, right? Most people would think the opposite. They think, well, we need to just batten down the hatches and ride this out and survive. And then we'll rebuild later when the market picks up. And you didn't do that. You had an almost contrarian approach to this and think this is the opportunity. This is when we absolutely like, this is the best time to hire. Talk to me about what you were thinking and then what kind of, you know, what the steps were. Of course. Well, I mean, that's uh, partly the difference between being owned by private equity and or being publicly owned reporting quarterly earnings uh, versus running a, a, a shop. You know, um, I, I've always had the mindset of, you know, I'm still owning 100% of this company uh, of if I can get this thing off the ground to where I still have complete control uh, over revenue that we can run really quickly because I don't care about inflating my lifestyle. I'm pouring, you know, as much back on this thing as I can. Um, so luckily, we were positioned to where I didn't really care. Um, I had money. And, you know, so being able to afford people was, was not the issue. It's, it was just finding the right people that I wanted to bring on board and, you know, to hunker down. I mean, if, if you literally can't afford to do otherwise, completely understand. But hopefully you're in a stronger cash position than that. And I mean, really short sighted to not see the opportunity to, to hire. And to, I mean, it, it was just the best opportunity in a long time to hire. Um, so, you know, if, you, if you're not looking long term, you know, and, and I tell everyone that comes here, I'm like, hey, if this is a stepping stone for you, please don't accept this offer. You right. know, if, 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 if you're going to come here, I'm, I'm talking 5, 10, 15, 20 year commitment. Like, I want people here for the long run. So, you know, and, and, and every and basically at this point, I'm always hiring for the right person. Awesome. Whether I need someone or not, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. If the right person comes along, I'm hiring. Uh, that is awesome, man. So 891% you grew this year. Is that in terms of, are you talking just headcount or do you mean actual revenue? Revenue. Wow. That's, that's amazing especially given the market we've, we've had. So listen, I, I'd like to talk to you about the, what was involved in that. First, let me just um, support and amplify wh- what you just shared, because I really believe, and this is from my own experience as well, that the biggest barrier or constraint to growing your firm is mindset. And the reason I say that is I, uh, I took a calculated risk last year, 2020, um, and hired, somebody became available 
from a direct competitor. Her name is Leanne Sarah Jones Hunt, and she was and is a, an absolute superstar. So I took somewhat of a calculated risk and used, like there's a lot, I'm sure it's the same in the States, here in the UK, there was a lot of funding available on amazing terms because of the coronavirus. So we had this business bounce back loan scheme where essentially it was low interest. There was no repayments for 12 months. The government was guaranteeing like 80% of the loan. So it was much easier to get, uh, to get money. So I just used that and invested that to pay land for the first, you know, little while until, you know, we were able to, to generate a profit. And Justin, that was the best decision I could have ever made. Um, I, we finished last year strong and took so much momentum in this year and Q1, we're only two months into Q1 is going to be my best Q1 ever. And I've been doing this for 19 years. So that, and, and a huge factor there was hiring Leanne because she is such a dynamo. That's been a a huge impetus for, for us to be able to, uh, to expand and and reach and impact more people. Um, and looking back, yeah, thanks, man. Uh, looking back to, well done, brother. Well, what, what I, when I asked myself, why didn't I do this sooner? It was fear and I didn't even see it at the time. Cause it's, you know, it's easy to coach other people on this stuff, right? But when it comes to yourself, we have blind spots and I didn't realize that I had this limitation. And, and when I analyzed where did this come from, I, I realized it was, I could trace it back to like, I had a business failure when I was 19 or 20 years old, my very first business. I hired a bunch of people. I mean, it was only like, it, it wasn't anything fancy, Justin. I had a, a painting franchise. I don't know if you have those in the U.S., in Canada, we had like these student painting franchises. So um, I had become a franchisee of this company. I hired a bunch of people, bought a bunch of equipment, but I didn't have any management experience. I didn't have any knowledge of accounting and bookkeeping. I really had no clue what I was doing. And uh, it was a disaster. <laughs> so the lesson I took away from that was like hiring people is risky and it's a big hassle. And, you know, if you have a business with higher overheads, then that's not going to end well. So I, I decided like next time I start a business, I'm going to just have no overheads. I'm going to have no employees. Uh, it's just going to be me. And I thought that was like, that was like the, the smart decision. But looking back, that was just a limiting belief. And, and it was really just a justification or like a rationalization to explain away my fear of failing all over again. And so that wound from 25, more than 25 years ago was still limiting me. So when I realized that, then it's like the floodgates have, have opened and, and just amazing things have started happening um, in my business. So, yeah, um, that's, that's awesome, man. Uh, congratulations. And, you know, and you. I, we, we touched on this in the first podcast, but uh, you know, my first two hires, I mean, revenue wise, like they didn't make sense, but I needed to take that risk. Um, yeah. and it's, it's always been based around, uh, around the right people. Um, you know, and I, I originally thought I was going to run kind of a solo shop as well. Uh, mm-hmm. but that, that, that changed decently quickly, uh, of, of realizing like, okay, no, this, this, this has to grow. I, I can't, build what I want to build on my own. So yeah. Awesome. Same to you. Same to you. So 
Talk me through how you went from this, like you said, uh, you went through a whole period where there was zero jobs. You had a few starters. Um, how did you get from there to 890% growth? Uh, we had a really strong <laughs> Q1 and then a, a really strong Q4. Um, and then on top of that, we know we did retain about two thirds of our contractors that uh, were bringing in a good amount of revenue. So uh, we, and we were lucky with that. You know, I mean, I know some bigger agencies that lost, you know, two thirds of their contractors uh, or more. So, you know, there was a significant drop off for a lot of people. So we got lucky there. Um, and we, we got lucky that we really started the year strong and that mm-hmm. uh, we landed some, you know, a large number of jobs going into Q4 when really the market is still very down. I don't think we'll see a normal yeah. market until 2022, hopefully, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, because the, the revenue loss uh, and, you know, most of these, you know, most of my clients are multi-billion dollar companies. So, you know, you got public as well. And so, you know, they're still trying to recover. I mean, we still got, you know, one of the top, five health systems in the nation that I'm working with. I mean, we saw the executive suite at a company that does several billion in revenue. Yet they still have to get a job approval for staff level folks that, from the COO from, you know, the executive level. Like that's not normal. Wow. <laughs> that's not normal at all. So it's still, you know, kind of onesie twosies in, in that regard, but uh, starting to see it pick up a, a quite a bit. So you know, it's fun. You're you're saying we got lucky, and and but then again, um, I don't think we can put it just down to luck. Like, what did you physically do to make sure that you had as good a Q4 as possible? Yeah, I mean, obviously, stayed stayed. I don't even want to call it sales. I want to call it relationship management. Um, yeah. You know, staying in touch with, with our people, um, just touching base them, seeing how they're going. Uh, but, you know, still paying attention to the market, uh, knowing kind of what was going on, uh, paying attention to the leadership shifts and, and things like that. And, you know, was able to land a couple really good projects. And, you know, it was really just staying in touch with uh, with really our existing network because mm-hmm. breaking into new business during that time was pretty unfeasible. Um, but, I mean, it, it's already really difficult to get a contract pushed through legal at large health systems um, when there's no jobs. I mean, good luck. <laughs> you know, there's just, <laughs> there, there's not much incentive for them to, to get all the signatures they need on this of going, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's, Let's sign a, you know, sign up for a staffing contract. Um, so it, it was really just uh, sticking with the folks that we'd already built relationships with and, um, and you know, vetting that out. And yeah, I mean, really not much more to it. I, I wish it was more, more insightful than that. So you were the beneficiary of all of the hard work that you'd put into over the years up until that point, right? So. Correct. You'd planted a lot of seeds and you'd watered those, nurtured them. And, um, and then that you were able to maintain 
that and and then that became a platform for growth. But when you said keep in touch, like how did you do that? What you mentioned you didn't want it to seem too salesy or like you were just asking for for business. So how did you how did you keep in touch in a way that wasn't that? Of course, um, it's picking up the phone and just having a conversation. You know, right. I mean, everyone's going through a tough time. Uh, so put your, take your sales hat off and be a human. Um, yeah. and let's just have a, let's have a conversation, you know, be, be the positive, you know, light in someone's day. Um, you know, it, it was a grim time. So to, you know, get them laughing and just to make it, make a good connection for them to yeah. get off that phone call and, and be in a better place mentally than they were when they picked up the phone. Uh, you know, and, and, and I would even flat out say to a lot of folks like, Hey, I'm, I'm not calling about jobs. Like, <laughs> you know, I just wanted to see how you're doing. Um, and, and being that transparent about it, that's not what this is about. I'm not even going to ask, um, you know, did you have to furlough people? I, I, I hate that for you. Um, you know, so really just, uh, and being a good, good listener. Right. I mean, that's, uh, you know, especially a lot of people in leadership and you're going through hardships of having to furlough people and things like that. I mean, uh, to have someone to uh, just to talk to is uh, is valuable. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was pretty much it. I love that, Justin, being the positive light in someone's day. That's uh, that is not something that I think most recruiters have on their list of call objectives, but it. <laughs> You know, is like, that not a KPI? Yeah, that's a that's an awesome one though. I, I feel like it should be like maybe on a poster or a whiteboard or something to just keep that in mind. On even even on a normal sales call, like if you can have that as one of your objectives, that would be pretty cool. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. There, there's it, it is very fulfilling for someone to get off the phone. Like I really enjoyed that conversation. You know, or that's yeah. this. I've never had a conversation like this with the, with the recruiter. Um, awesome. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I love to get people to just try to get on the laugh, you know, try to make it a good time. So I've, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one to, to crack jokes on the phone or kind of catch them off guard and, and really make it lighthearted. And, uh, I'm, I'm really about the, you know, that, the human connection, like let's, yeah, let's, let's have a conversation. An enjoyable conversation. So what was the message to your team during all this? Because, you know, that's a that's another factor is you're managing your own emotions in, in, you know, very tough circumstances. But then also you want to make sure that your team feels supported and that they feel they're not, um, you know, suffering more than they need to as well. So how did you do that? You know, when it comes to my team and and, and, and building this company, I don't get a choice. I'm, I'm I'm very ambitious. Like I I'm trying to really scale something here. Um, and but on the flip side of that, you know, and there's a lot of reasons I started this company. But one of the reasons is just looking at, you know how short our existence is here and that if we have to spend X amount of hours of our life working, why can't it be for something? And, 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 and with people that you enjoy being around and, and be successful, you can, you can have it all. Why not? Uh, let's create that. 
And so, you know, when it comes to my, my employees, um, I have very personal relationships with all my employees uh, and, and individual personal relationships. My relationship with each employee is different, uh, but I spend a lot of time with them. Um, I spend a lot of time checking, you know, a lot of our conversations are just about life in general. You know, I've, I've, I've talked to my uh, staff about philosophy all the time. You know, if they're going through something personally, like, hey, well, you know, let's shift the perspective. Like, what do you, you know, I've read this and uh, what do you think about that? And so, you know, I'm, I'm constantly um, wanting to improve their mental health and for them to be in a, a great mental state of well-being. And the byproduct of that is, is you're going to be even better at your job as well. But that's not the point. The point is that for me, it is super fulfilling that I am able to empower uh, my employees and for them to live a very quality life. And, and last year was really tough on uh, my team from a personal standpoint, um, you know, especially little ones having to, you know, do homeschooling and all that brutal. You know, you got you got a five or six year old like that's tough. Uh, you know, there are no options for, for daycare or school like it's on you. Um, so, you know, and there were several things that, that were pretty tough, but it was just, uh, you know, letting them know that this is, this too shall pass and, you know, really just kind of, uh, sticking with them on, on a personal level. And I'll, I'll share uh, one of my favorite success stories on, on that note, Mark. Uh, so my, uh, one of my employees, her son was four at the time and I love sharing this story. They, uh, we had just, she had, she had not been working for me long. We had just came back from a conference and that we did really well at. And, uh, and you know, kids, they see the world for, for what it is, right? They're little Buddhas. And uh, she came home and she said, you know what my son said to me? Well, she, he said, mommy, you're different and I like it. And she, she <laughs> I said, love it. She said, he's never seen me this happy before. Wow. I was like, that. That's that, awesome. If you can do that, then you've done something worthwhile. Absolutely. Wow, that's so powerful. That's amazing. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. Listen, you mentioned conferences. I know that last time we spoke, speaking at events and attending conferences was a big part of your marketing, you know, uh, strategy to become famous in your 
in your space, your sector that you specialize in. Um, did you do anything on, virtually that would replace that last year? Like, what did you do instead? Yeah, I already had a few conferences lined up that I was mm-hmm. to speak at that went virtual. Um, okay. So, you know, I did have several virtual speaking engagements. Um, personally, not a fan. I, it's just, I just don't get as much from it from a personal standpoint. I mean, especially the recorded ones, you know, some of them are live, but most of them are like recorded sessions. So it's literally just, you know, you and one person, and I'm just going to talk at this at myself for the next hour, you know, and it's just, I don't, I don't enjoy the platform, right? It kind of takes the enjoyment out of it and the, the engagement from the audience and, you know, talking to people afterwards. And so you kind of lose some of that, but I also think that virtual is here to stay. Um, yes. So I got to kind of be at peace with that because I mean, here moving forward, there's going to be virtual and there's going to be on site. Um, there will be both. And I think there's a good uh, reach and platform for both. Um, so, you know, I, and, and I think most organizations will start to cater to both, you know, to, for, for that wider reach for that wider audience. Um, so still had some, some success uh, in speaking, um, but I'm very much looking forward to, getting back to, to actual conferences, but um, yeah, I think that's. Shit. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I totally get it. I cannot wait until we can start physically, you know, meeting people properly again. Um, having said that, I am a fan of this virtual medium and um, I, the, I started doing teleseminars. It was in before webinars. It was like, I don't know, early 2000s, right? It, and uh, yeah, early 2000s. I was, I was I, <laughs> Thanks a lot, Justin. Thanks. So, and, and, and I hosted these teleseminars, which was basically like a telephone conference where I would talk about a subject like, okay, guys, today's subject is negotiating your recruiting fee, right? And making sure you maximize your, um, you know, the value you're getting and so on. And it was so weird because I was used to being in front of a group and you get instant feedback and you can tell if people like are responding or if they look puzzled or whatever you can, you know, and you can make it interactive much more easily and you can, you know, do exercises. And, and, and this was a totally different thing. And I didn't like it at first because it was like you're in a vacuum. You're just talking to yourself. And it was really a strange experience. But then I, the more and more I did it, A, it got easier. But secondly, I realized I can reach so many more people when we're doing this through technology instead of in person. And it's a different thing. It's not a replacement for in person. Um, but, you know, I, I would have to be on the road constantly and I still wouldn't be able to impact as many people as I do, you know, through virtual events. Right. right? So I think there's definitely a place for both, but don't, um, don't give up on the virtual thing because like you could speak to so many more people than you would ever speak to at a live conference. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I know that I have to, to stick with it and, you know, just, just kind of get over that piece. So, you know, I, I will continue to do so. 
But what, what I'm hoping to see a lot of in the future too is more people live streaming events. Yeah. Um, yeah, you yeah. know, to where I, you know, you can't go speak in person, but hey, for a, a smaller fee to this organization, you know, you can still attend our sessions. Um, I'm, I'm hoping there will be a, a, a big transition there to where mm-hmm. that is very commonplace. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, because be cool. the, like, like you said, it was about, you know, reading the crowd. I mean, once you spoke even a few times, if, if you're decently good at this, like it's, it's, it's easy to, to read the crowd and to gauge their reactions. Like, you know, if they're, I, I can tell if I want to dive in a little more or if I just want to completely back out of something or, you know, if, if uh, they're getting a little, little drowsy, I need to, you know, crack a joke. You know, you, you can, you can read the, the energy in the room and, and work yeah. with it uh, totally. versus looking at yourself on the uh, computer is uh, not as engaging. Uh, I do have a, one funny story though. So, this is for the entire state of California. I, I'm giving this presentation. It was the first one that I had done uh, virtually. And they had it to where I was looking at myself. And I didn't know how to make that go away. So it was just kind of awkward. It was my first time to just stare at myself <laughs> while I speak. Um, and it was being videoed. So, you know, and, and so you've you got to like maintain being professional here. And for sober, looking at myself for 60 minutes straight and, and, I raised a pup uh, during COVID, uh, a red lab, and and he was like 10 or 11 weeks old at the time. So I was like, oh, this will be an adorable idea, right? So I was like, you know, most speakers, the first thing they try to come up with is, you know, what's my icebreaker? What's going to grab the eye's attention? I'm at home. I get to cheat, you know, so here's my puppy. That's adorable. <laughs> and, you know, I, I pick him up and, and, so, and then I put him down. I go on about uh, the presentation. Well, there was a, 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 a faux plant in the corner, like a tree that he like pulled down and then just continued to demolish the entire time I'm on this, <laughs> this ball. And so I'm sitting here like slapping inside of my leg, like snapping at him. Like he's a puppy. He don't care. He's having the time of his life. <laughs> so you know, by, Hilarious. By the time I got this thing, there's, there's this stuff all over the room. And I was like, oh, that was a horrible idea. <laughs> so hilarious. Like, there's a lesson learned for you. <laughs> I think, but you know what? That's kind of cool in the same, at the same way, because um, you don't have to be all perfect. That's the thing that I think is a positive coming out of, out of this pandemic is the uh, aspiring to be this perfect, like perfect, you know, presenter and have like your really professional studio and all this stuff. Um, I think people are a lot more real right now because you kind of just have yep. to get get on with it right and yep. in some ways i think that makes it easier to relate to other people and to make that human connection you mentioned earlier so they That's probably true. liked i could they see the puppy demolishing the tree in the background no or? No, <laughs> no, they, they, no they couldn't no they couldn't um so but- yeah, no, that would have been that would have been really funny if they could see that happening. <laughs> uh, but no, no, they couldn't. But I, I agree with you, though, Mark, that it was an interesting year for uh, building those personal connections with people and for, you know, just being a little bit more down to earth uh, when you're used to being in a pretty professional setting, uh, whether that's, you know, 
Skype meetings that I've had for, you know, it, sure, people will end up stay professional for like the first couple. But then after that, it's like, all right, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be in a hoodie, you know, like, <laughs> right, I'm, right, I'm not, exactly. not putting on a, a jacket for this uh, Skype call with my my basketball shorts, you know? So, um, you know, it definitely has made it a bit more human in that way. And I think it's just naturally stirred, um, just, just conversation, just human to human conversation, um, versus business. Uh, you know, so it, it was, no, it was good in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Agree. So what were, what were some of the challenges, um, that you encountered last year apart from the obvious and and how did you address those like growing a firm you know pandemic or not there's always challenges right what what would you say were the biggest ones for you jobs mark jobs okay um yeah so i say the biggest uh for me was uh really reevaluating operations, uh, as we're, we're scaling. Um, and so I've, I've spent a lot of time on that last year as well as kind of coming into this year of, you know, reevaluating the, the company and, and understanding that, you know, when we were still really small and I was still really kind of bootstrapping this thing, uh, you know, on a shoestring that this, this worked, mm-hmm. but, for a company that's scaling, this is not going to work. I mean, it may work, but it's going to be a pain. And I'm going to be forced to make these changes in the future regardless. Like now that I can afford to do it as well as kind of have a little bit of, of time back to do it, um, putting those processes uh, in place. So really, you know, getting more robust on the legal side of things, the finance side of things, uh, the, the tech stack side of things, you know, and, and I mean, really everything, uh, you know, building out more policies from an HR perspective. Uh, so really kind of putting in a lot of those fundamentals. Um, mm-hmm. And then also one of the bigger things I did this past year as well, really kind of kicking it off this year is that uh, you know, I've, I've always wanted to, be more than just a staffing company. Um, not, I mean, s- staffing's absolutely wonderful. It's a personal preference for me. Uh, you know, I mean, I would be perfectly content with continuing to build uh, a staffing company. Uh, but I want, I've always wanted to run a complimentary consulting business uh, side by side, uh, just because uh, I, I, you know, a lot of people, and I'll hear a lot of your, your guests on here talk about you know, how much they're improving the staffing industry or looking in, you know, trying to build staffing technology and things like that. I really enjoy my industry of healthcare. Um, I really want to make an impact on healthcare and this industry. And so, you know, I really pay close attention to what's going on in the industry, uh, kind of where, trying to see where things are going and, and making moves towards that. So, you know, uh, healthcare overall is, is moving towards an outpatient setting, uh, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so 85% yes. of encounters, according to the CMS, uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services uh, here in the States, is outpatient. And then but COVID just basically fast forwarded, you know, telehealth 
and outpatient um, stays in the, and to that coupled with technology uh, that's advancing. I mean, even 10 years ago, we couldn't do, you know, outpatient things uh, that we can today. Those were inpatient surgeries. And so uh, I've really, so outpatient clinical documentation, you know, I, I basically went and got someone who has one of the oldest programs in the nation, helped basically write the test for this. Uh, so really trying to build out, now I want to be able to go to whether it's providers or large health systems and, and you know, do the whole thing, come in, do some audits, make the proposal to the exec suite, help them get that buy-in from the exec suite because we're showing the ROI, because we're showing the value here, come in, build the whole, build the program, provide the staffing for it, um, you know, and, and really make an impact. Uh, so, that you know, that sounds awesome. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, I feel yeah. like I kind of tailed away from your original question of, of what challenges did you have, but um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's all right. Uh, well, St- sticking with the the idea then like would you be then competing with the consulting firms rather than the staffing firms like you know your Deloitte KPMG you know um Bain and Company you know there's there's consulting firms that go in to these healthcare organizations would you be one of those or how like yeah, I would, I would be competing with them. Uh, but, you know, I, I've chosen a very niche space um, yeah. to to be in. Um, and, you know, I, it's the same thing as staffing for me. Like, I love competing against the big boys um, yeah. because their overhead's insane. And, you know, and, and we can come in and, and too, like, you know, you, you look at, Yes, and staffing, but especially when you're talking about major industry companies, <clears throat> these big companies, they want to sell you out of the box program. And, you know, they just, they don't care because they own a significant portion of the market. And, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, and that's from a technology perspective as well. But, you know, to come in and, and really create something uh, unique. And, and one of the reasons I chose this space specifically is because it is uh, very um, specific to down to the clinic, down to the provider that you're working with of how this thing needs to operate. Uh, so, you know, it there is no out-of-the-box solution. You really got to come into a, a health system and do true consulting and build a program for them specifically. And, and how their workflow is going to work and, and what that looks like. So I chose that specifically, but, uh, you know, I, I like competing against the big boys. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a space for, for people like me and, and players like me to, to come in and, and take some of the market share. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So, well, look, while we're on that theme, what, what uh, else are you looking to achieve with uh, with Norwood staffing over the rest of the year and beyond? Yeah, of course. Um, so currently about to go through some uh, looking at rebranding uh, and, you know, continuing to build out, uh, you know, things for scale and mm-hmm. also looking at some technology uh in the healthcare space as well and some different partnerships along those lines so you know i'm I'm exploring quite a bit right now and you know if if things go as planned uh with my new consultant would would be to build a team out under her you know to where 
we, we have a, a team that's going in and, and doing these things. So, but, you know, staffing will still be my, my bread and butter for maybe ever or at mm-hmm. least for the foreseeable future. So, mm-hmm. you know, I want these businesses to run, you know, side by side and to, to help each other and really truly be a complimentary business. Um, yeah. And one of the same, but yeah, rebranding to uh, to just Norwood and kind of dropping the mm-hmm. the staffing solutions. So working mm-hmm. on a new website right now, and uh, mm-hmm. you know doing all that. That was always part of my plan. I kept I started with staffing solutions to for brand recognition within the industry. I felt like I kind of had that at this point, so uh, I've always kind of wanted to drop that and just go with Norwood. Um, another uh, fun quick story for you. So uh, you know it's really hard to get short domains. And I was like, eh, what are the chances? You know, let's go see if Norwood.com is available. And so, of course, it's not available, but I'm like, who owns it? So I, it redirects me to this large company, this, you know, $300 million revenue company. And I see on GoDaddy, that, you know, you can pay them 20% and they'll go try to, you know, uh, haggle with someone and get that for you. I'm like, wait, I'm going to pay you 20% for like your $50,000 rep to go try to make a deal for me. Like turns out I'm pretty decent at making deals. I think I'm going to yeah, do this. Really? So, <laughs> uh, like, like I think I'll uh, handle this myself. So figured out who the CEO was, <laughs> did, did some light research on him, reached out to him specifically on LinkedIn, like, you know, with the title Norwood.com, like, Hey, congratulations on the recent acquisition. You know, this is what I'm doing would be great to own this. And like within a week got me in touch with his uh, chief marketing officer and uh, yeah, just waiting to hear back from legal to see if we got the green light. So, Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So it's an, just a, a fun little story there. If you want, want something, go get awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, why not? Do you know, yeah. um, I bought the domain markwhitby.com. I'm, I'm not really using it, but um, I bought it from another Mark Whitby in Australia. <laughs> Um, there's Mark, actually a lot of Mark, people. A proposition was, for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He, he was freaked out at first when I contacted him and said, hi, I'm Mark Whitby. And, uh, so anyway, I said, look, you own markwhitby.com, but you're not doing anything with it. Um, can I have it? And he was like, well, so I think I paid him a couple thousand dollars or something for it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So why not go? go after your ideal domain and see if you can see if you can get it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Hopefully fingers crossed, but uh, yeah, man, it's as far as, you know, moving to the future, just like I said, you know, always hiring at this point. So continue to kind of have my feelers out there for that. And then. What does that uh, really mean? Like always like how many people are we talking about by the end of 2021? Have you got like a, um, ideally I would double in size. I would, I'm hoping to have a team of, we're six right now, hoping to have mm-hmm. a team of, I would say, 10 uh, mm-hmm. by the end of the year. So I'd like right. to hire probably four more people this year. Um, but, I mean, that may be two people. That may be six people uh, yeah. if the right people come along. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't care. I care about the long term and building mm-hmm. the right team here. So, um, you know, uh, and most of the people that I that I want, I'm I actively approach, basically have an introductory conversation and, you know, let them know the doors open because anyone that I'm going to want is going to, it's not going to be an easy decision to leave. You know, they're leaving a big book of business behind. They're facing a non-compete, you know, so 
and and a career and typically they're going to be managing a team so it's not an easy decision it's not a light decision it has to be on their their terms and their timeline uh you know there's just going to be that one day where they're like i'm done here um you know and that's what one things that happened with the the manager for my previous employer that happened you know i've been talking to him for two and a half years about coming on board here um but you know and and eventually there's one day i'm i'm done that's it so you know, just kind of put getting that, getting out there and knowing who you want and just uh, letting them know that you're interested. That's interesting, Justin. Let's just uh, dive into that for a sec, because it is very ironic that the biggest challenge I hear from recruiting and staffing firm owners that's constraining their growth is they're like, Mark, we can't find enough good people. And even though that's what you do for a living, right? It's easier to hire for other people. Um, So what is your uh, approach when it comes to hiring? How do you, I mean, you've given us a a taste. So it's people, there are people you have already identified and you're proactively going after them, letting them know that you're interested. And then how, how does it go from there? Like, what is your process? Because just because someone's good doesn't necessarily mean they're right for you, right? Of course. And, um, so what does your hiring process look like? And, and that, and it, cause that's the other thing, not only are staffing and, and recruiting firms not good at hiring, but also they've typically got a high churn rate. So yeah. what are you doing to make sure that we, we get the best people and we keep them? Of course. And I mean, that's always been one of my number one mm-hmm. goals here. Um, uh, and from a branding perspective, I think most staffing companies fell at building a strong brand because of the the turnover. Um, and I, I understand the machine. The machine works, but I just have no interest in it. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, I, I want to I, I want to have that family environment. I want to have that team of people that's uh, been here for a long time. So, yeah, as far as. Uh, my approach, I mean, one, you know, I, I pay people well, um, mm-hmm. you know, compensation is, is really good here um, and, and really competitive uh, as, as well as, you know, as this thing builds, you know, I'll be building that even further out to, to profit sharing and doing some unique things to where there is no better opportunity out there in this space. Like this mm-hmm. is it. Um, you know, if, if you want a shot at making some serious money, then this is a great home for you. Also, um, treating people like adults, uh, you know, I, I tell people, you know, if, if you need me to manage your day, this isn't the place for you. Um, you know, I, I don't have an interest in doing so. And I, I need people that are self-motivated and driven that don't need that uh, handholding, um, you know, and, and, and having a... It's funny. I was actually talking to a, a guy recently that I'm trying to recruit, and he was like, and he, he's in a bigger environment, and he was like, you know, it is intriguing to uh, the idea of going from working with, you know, essentially a, a junior college team with all these college graduates to truly working with the pro team. Um, and I'm like, it is. It's a completely different environment. It's a good analogy. You know, when, when everyone here is seven to twenty years in the business, like. Everyone here is a pro. 
Uh, everyone mm. here's a top biller, and being in that environment is it's pretty awesome, man. I, mm. I, I really enjoy it. It's just a completely different environment than your typical staffing agency, uh, and I think that's attractive to your top billers to to be a part of that environment. Um, and as far as you know, vetting these people out, of course, not everyone's a, a right fit, even if they are a top biller. I mean, I know top billers I have no interest in. Uh, whether that's from just stories about integrity or just personality. Um, you know, that's when, when I had that initial kind of reach out, I'm really kind of, they don't even realize I'm doing this, but I'm really vetting out their personality uh, and philosophy and just kind of who they are as a person um, and, uh, and, and kind of diving into that. And I, and I really don't have that dialed in to like, hear specifically what I do. Uh, I think that's something I'm, I'm naturally pretty gifted at is getting, understanding people rather quickly. Um, and, you know, understanding what, what drives them, what motivates them. Uh, but it's something I've always kind of been intuitive with, but that, that piece is, is key for me, especially as this culture starting to really form Mm -hmm. of it's even easier now of like, would you fit into our culture? Um, Mm -hmm. not as much kind of build something around you, but, and now the culture is really starting to get established and, you know, I'll do whatever it takes to protect that. Um, I, I will, I will be a smaller company and keep that because that is fulfilling. I hear you. That, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Would, at what stage would you consider growing your own people? Because the, I mean, I, I have a client that grew a really large contract recruiting business and, um, the issue they ran into is number one, exactly as you say, if someone's already got a book of business, they have contractors, they're making, you know, commission on that is hard to walk away from. So they have to be pretty unhappy with something mm-hmm. in their current situation to go through the pain barrier of building that up again. Um, and number, so number two is a finite talent pool. There were only so many people who, were the ones that they wanted to go after. And then if you keep expanding, then you run out of the ones who are A, really good, B, willing to come on board with you, C, they're going to fit your culture. So then they got to a point where, do you know what? We have to just um, take people with the right mindset, the right attitude, as you say, self-motivated, hunger, drive, resilience, whatever the characteristics are that you're looking for. And we will turn them into the ultimate uh, recruitment consultant. Have you like ever tried that, or is that something you would be open to looking at? It's something I would I, I would be open to looking at. I'm just not sure when. Uh, I've always mm-hmm. had the idea of get these first ten people really established and and in here, and then from there, I, I've really thought more about the model of supporting those really top producers yeah. versus you know, starting to bring in more recruiters and more salespeople. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if I can free up their time, if I can maximize their time. If I can bring, you know, bring in account managers for both the salespeople mm-hmm. as well as the recruiters, you know, yes. to where they're managing the consultants, they're, you know, these account managers are managing the clients and, you know, to, to make sure that your top salesperson is selling, that your top recruiter is recruiting, that they're, right. they're, right. deal. they're, they're, you know, they're, they're rainmaking. Um, yes. And so, you know, after building out all of that, um, yeah, 
Potentially. And, and I think, you know, maybe having a model to where you would come in as a recruiting account manager. And if you're really good at it, you know, you kind of get your shot to, to move up. Um, mm, exactly. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think one of the difficult parts about uh, recruiting and teaching from scratch is one, I think it'd be difficult to do remotely. Uh, I feel like I would probably need to have some kind of office, at least a training center, um, because there's just too much to educate someone on. It's, it's, it's the little details in a conversation, right? Do you know what? Uh, I, I but, thought that, um, but I listened to my interview I did with, uh, Abed Hamid. Um, okay. I, I, I don't know. It was a couple of months back. He uh, is an investor. He works for James Kahn, who's a really, um, famous recruitment entrepreneur over here. Um, he, do you have Dragon's Den in the U.S.? Or that concept where you have like a panel of investors and entrepreneurs come and pitch their idea. Oh, Shark Tank. You guys call it Shark, Shark Tank, Tank. Yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So our version of Shark Tank is called Dragon's Den. James Kahn was, uh, made his fortune recruiting. I think he's worth like 300 million pounds or $500 million, something oh, yeah, like no that. Big deal. And, um, <laughs> He was on that show and that's how he became famous. So anyway, he's got a company with Abid Hamid who, and they, they invest in recruitment startup businesses, right? And hmm. I put that to him and he had a really good answer. I'm not going to, we don't have time to go into it today, but yeah, of course. Uh, how would you onboard and train people remotely? Um, it was yeah. interesting. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, that would be interesting. But I think one of the difficult things that, Really, that's hard to uh, judge is resilience, is grit. I yeah. That's uh, that's really tough to vet. And if you don't have that, you will not be successful in this industry. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, we that that's maybe a subject for another day. One more thing I wanted to ask you, Justin, is, um, by the way, I love the quote on your LinkedIn profile. Day by day, what you choose, what you think, and what you do is who you become, Heraclitus. Um, we talked about stoicism last time. What are you reading these days or what's the best thing you've read in the last 12 months or so? Oh, um, best thing I've read. Let's see here. Um, probably my favorite business book that I've read last year was shoe dog, Phil Knight. Um, the story of Nike, absolutely incredible book. Yeah. Just power packed with, uh, with quotes and adventure and, Oh man, just uh, what what a fantastic book! Um, currently reading um, the Happiness Hypothesis. Uh, I, I don't really care for the the title of the book, but it's uh, essentially uh, uh, marrying ancient wisdom of, of philosophy and religions with modern day science, um, and, and really diving into psychology. Um, I read quite a bit on on philosophy, psychology, social psychology, um, you know, that's, that's been quite interesting. Waking Up, Sam Harris, a uh, fantastic book. Um, a couple, as far as business are concerned, though, Rocket Fuel uh, just finished that. Um, and it really dives into the, the V&I relationship, the visionary and the integrator. Um, it was recommended to me by another entrepreneur. And it's something I'm, I'm kind of having to understand now and I'm, I'm I'm trying to grasp this concept. I've never considered myself a visionary, Mark. I think it's a really strong word. When I hear the word visionary, I'm like you know Steve Jobs or Mark Cuban or you know the the, the big boys. Uh, but you know, and and it 
this book defining what a visionary is. I'm like, yep, that's me. Like for, for good and bad, you know, the, the bad parts as well. Like that's definitely me. And it talks about that you really need a, an integrator that you need an operations mm. person. So that's something I'm really right. looking at now. Uh, I really do want to find that, that operations person to take that side of the business over because it's not a good use of my time. I'm not Absolutely. the best at it. Even though I enjoy learning new things about the business and kind of building yes. that out. I, I, there's there's people that are better at this than me. It's not a good use of my time. Um, so that is, that, I'm going to read yeah. that book. I need to. I need that, Justin. Yeah. But that's what Leanne does for me, and that has been the critical. Like that is the rocket fuel for sure. Yeah. Is yeah. having someone who is ace at that and compliments you because you've, you know, you've you're the one who's got the vision for the business. Um, and you, I don't know if you find this, like I have too many ideas that I will never be able to possibly implement, Mark, but I have now notes yeah. and notes for days on my phone. Like if, if I just had people to do all the things that I, uh, you know, thought of like, wow, I have no idea where I would be right now. Um, one more for you specifically yeah. shout out for you, Mark is, uh, have you, uh, read, it was called the trillion dollar coach. I have not a trillion, a trillion dollar coach. Um, you got to check that out. So, right. uh, it, I'm going to order it now. Yeah. So Troy Nara coaches, uh, I mean, he was basically the coach for Silicon Valley. So for the G, uh, Steve jobs, uh, you know, Larry Ellison, like you name it, like all the big wigs, uh, this was their guy. And, um, and what was really intriguing to me about it was like what we would consider modern day geniuses that they had a coach. Um, you know, even these guys that were at the pinnacle of business, they had a coach and I was like, interesting. So mm. shout out for you there. All right. Thank you for that. Appreciate it, Justin. Well, listen, we're out of time, but, uh, thank you so much for, for doing this. I always enjoy our conversations and, Likewise, Mark. um, yeah, uh, I'll look forward to speaking to you again real soon. Awesome, man. Enjoy the time. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.